Welcome to Brand New Doctor. I'm Rola Kerajo, doctor turned brand strategist and graphic designer for the health and wellness industry. This is the podcast where we share important ideas and conversations with healthcare professionals and industry experts to inspire you with new and exciting ways to make an impact in work, life, and healthcare. Following a path to success is one thing, but carving your own is another. This is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. I'm very excited to introduce my wonderful guest, Leah Jagendorf. So Leah, you are a designer and an educator and you studied at the Royal College of Art. You've worked on a range of different design projects. And in fact, you are the original creator of the Gales Bakery brand, which is a favorite of mine. And now you help all kinds of people to engage with and gain a deeper understanding of design in interesting ways through your workshop, some of which you have done in partnership with the Welcome Collection. That includes a workshop for an exhibition called Can Graphic Design Save Your Life, which is all about the importance of graphic design in healthcare. So I'm really, really excited to get your perspective on creativity and designing for healthcare. And you also have this amazing blog, which is how I discovered you. It's called Why Design Matters. And you really delve in deep to the importance of graphic design and design in general in the way that we interact with this world that we're in today. So I want to start by asking a very burning question which is a little removed from what we'll be talking about today you as i said before designed the original gales bakery brand and i just wonder what it's like for you to see something that you have designed out in the world and part of the everyday experience of the average person what is that like I love that question. It's very funny because about I live in Hackney in East London and there's a Gales here. So Gales has become a place where there's a kind of a state agent on a high street. One day I was walking in the park and I I saw a, a Gales coffee cup littering the park and I thought okay, that is a first for me. That's something that I've designed has become kind of common litter on oh, the wow. So that was a kind of weird, obviously a negative thing, but also it, it sort of shows how widespread this brand yeah. is. It's a very strange feeling because on the one hand, it's something very, very familiar to myself. And then on the other hand, it's also just become something that belongs to someone else somehow. It is an interesting question, isn't it? When When you're a designer, is it your creation or is it kind of everybody else's who does the creation belong to the creator or to the people who are enjoying it or using it every day? I think anyway, as a graphic designer, you are programmed from very early on that what you design doesn't really belong to you because Mm. you are a commercial artist, what it used to be called. So in a way you are dependent on a client commissioning you to do something as opposed to an artist who might create something because they have a burning urge and creative kind of drive to do stuff yeah we are yeah so maybe we are programmed to know that we're giving something and it goes out there Mm -hmm. that makes me think that there's another kind of connection between graphic designers and doctors in a sense because we both kind of have to have that emotional reserve and 
a bit of emotional distance from the work that we're doing in a way. So yeah, very, very interesting parallel there. So I, I want to start by talking about ideas because I've asked this to other creatives and I feel that I get an interesting answer every time. But where do you think good ideas come from and how do you think we can get better ideas? So I think the reason you get interesting answers is because there isn't one answer, an answer right? And mm. as many ideas as there are, there are many ways that those ideas come into people's minds. But there are a few things that, I mean, as uh, from the education side of my work, I do spend quite a lot of time thinking how I can encourage ideas to be better in a way, or more if we use the word creative. And so I would say that generally good ideas are happen when you uh, make connections between things that, but also when you're willing to kind of let go of what you know. <laughs> so I know those are two very conflicting things, but you need to have the ability to, obviously we all have, draw from so many different sources, but the, there's a huge amount of knowledge that we have. And also there's a huge amount of knowledge that we can research to know more But at the same time, we have to accept that sometimes we need to take all that knowledge and just put it aside for a moment. And if you think of of lots of amazing ideas, they often challenge something that we all know as a certain something. And they say, hey, wait a minute. If you just think of your smartphone, you're going like that on your screen a thousand times a day. But 10 years ago, nobody was doing that. That somebody thought this is a way that we could interact with something. So... And in order to say that, you had to sort of put aside what you know, how we do certain things, right? Just like you're reading a book on a Kindle, it's very different from turning pages of a book. Someone had to forget how you turn a physical page and invent a way to... Yeah, so I think that that is one of my favorite things to say. It's connecting knowledge that we have, and it's also being able to forget the knowledge for a moment so that you can look at something in a fresh way i love that it's 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 almost like you have to let go of your pre-assumptions or preconceptions of something for sure and kind of rediscover yeah yeah i was going to ask you about writing a better brief actually because that was that was one of the the blog posts that i read and that you've written that i thought was really really interesting and you were talking about how the brief that we write really dictates what we get out of it so so if you use the example of talking about chairs if you if you wrote the brief make me a chair (laughs) you'll get a chair but if you said design a way to sit comfortably Mm. then you get all kinds of different things and I was really interested in this because I felt that it could be applied to our careers as well especially in the medical world we tend to think I'm going to be this specialist or I'm going to go down this career path. And so we've kind of written a brief for ourselves in terms of what we're going to become. And it cuts off options for us very, very quickly, especially for someone like me who didn't really feel that I fit in anywhere in particular, that I wanted to do one thing forever. And so, so then I think if we applied the same kind of thinking to our careers and we thought instead of a, a, type of a special dental specialist we said I want to improve the way that people smile or help people to enjoy their smile you might still become a dentist but you will 
approach your work very differently. It could take you down loads of different avenues and not just kind of funnel, funnel you down one specific route in particular. So I wonder what is your approach really to writing a better brief? And maybe we can figure out together how we can apply that to our careers as well. <laughs> First of all, I love the fact that you're taking something that is seemingly really unrelated and making it relevant. I think that's great. And I think that generally speaking, so just to be to put this in context, in, in, in industry, a brief is often very restricting. I mean, there will be a company that say we need an office chair. They're not going to say design a better way to sit while you're in the office. Although I would still encourage them to consider that. Yeah. But, but having said that, there are briefs that are designed to encourage really, I wouldn't say radical, but more original thinking or fresher ways of looking at stuff and there will be briefs that that have a very i mean in graphic in the context of graphic design a company will say we need a logo because we need a logo there's no yeah. kind of design a way that our identity will be you know and again you could have a very open brief and maybe come get some really exciting results so but generally speaking i think that every good brief should avoid as much as possible from giving you what it thinks that mm. the outcome should be. So really, you can write a very long and detailed brief that will not even come close to telling you what the outcome should be, but it will give you a lot of context. It will tell you a lot about who they want to reach. It would tell you a lot about the motivations that are leading them to want to create whatever this outcome will be. They will talk to you about why they think the person, the user that they, they're wanting to engage with might want to engage with their product, all kinds of things like that that will be invaluable in, in leading your thinking process to coming up with the best solution. But I would always say, especially early on in a project, do not go towards an outcome. Like, Don't say, I am going to design a mm, that mm. does all of these things, but rather say, I am going to try and do all of these things. And here are all kinds of ways that I can do it. Yeah. And that kind of links to what you're saying about improving someone's smile. I really like that because, or making a person feel more comfortable to smile or whatever. Yeah. yeah so it's like maybe, maybe even choosing a problem and deciding all of the the different ways or, or then brainstorming all of the different ways in which you can solve that that problem mm. more so than become this thing or make this specific thing yeah yeah I'm sure very, very but i think in a in a career context i'm just thinking this and i'm not a career guidance person in any way but i think that sort of talking about all the things that you're interested in, that your attributes that are your strengths, all these kind of things are an open way of saying, this is all the stuff that I'm interested in. This is all the stuff that I'm good at. Where can this take me? Which I think is generally probably how career guidance works, really. But still, <laughs> it is a more open way than saying, I want to be a surgeon, I want to be a dentist, I want to be a... Yeah, I wish in general career guidance for doctors and dentists, healthcare professionals was more like that, actually. Not so much here are the options, pick one option. Yeah. More what what are your strengths? What do you like doing? And all these kinds of things. I think it would be a really good place to start. I would I would add actually that for me, um having a, a kind of vision of, of what it is that 
I want to kind of create in my life has given me so many more ideas about the different ways in which I could do this thing. Mm -hmm. I think for me, my, my vision is very much around how do we help people to kind of carve a career for themselves, carve a path for themselves. And really how can we connect healthcare with people? <laughs> and, I, and I have so many, so many ideas around that. And it's not, it's not all specifically around design. I wouldn't have done this podcast if I said I'm going to be a graphic designer, actually. So yeah, different ways to look at, to look at a problem. And, and then that leads to the way that you think the way that you go into a brief is the way that you will kind of come out of it as well, I guess. I wanted to ask you more about your ideas about creativity again or mm. the label creative because yes. when I went to design school I I had to stop calling myself creative because <laughs> it was getting me down in a sense because I, I'd always thought of myself as creative and I still do but at the time I was kind of judging myself on how good my work was if if I made something that I wasn't particularly proud of or happy with then I'd start to question whether I was actually creative so I instead started to refer to myself as a grower that's what I would say to myself I wouldn't introduce myself as a grower but just the idea that I could improve that I could learn yeah. was kind of more important to me at that time and it, it certainly helped me through because <laughs> I, otherwise I would have just sat there kind of judging myself or not really feeling that this identity that I had for myself was real anymore. I wonder how you feel about this word creative, because it, it really does. It's actually quite a polarizing word. I find a lot of people, they either want to be creative and say they are, or they kind of run away from it and say, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. So, so interesting. So first of all, when I was a, a fresh graduate from the Royal College, I was living in an area, we were renting a flat for a little bit in an area that was full of kind of bankers and lawyers and stuff like that. And I had a young child. And so the playgrounds, people would ask me what I was. And whenever I said what I did, and I was, I said, oh, I'm a graphic designer. And they were like, oh my God, you're, so, you're creative. And I hated that. It was like, I was... I, they had this, it kind of connects a little bit to what you say, this like mystical, really yeah, almost like you have some yeah. power that is hard for, it's not mm. exactly power, but you have something that is impenetrable to them mm. and that you're somehow, and there was something unpleasant about it. Like I, it yeah. wasn't like I felt, oh, I'm so cool. I'm like, yeah. Oh. And so I think it's, you have to de demystify it. It's not mm. like, of course, there are people that are more talented at design than I, I don't think everyone can be a designer at all. <laughs> and I'm very <laughs> critical of people's uh, ability to design. Some people are terrible designers and they shouldn't be designers. <laughs> and, and just like I shouldn't be a banker because I'd be a terrible banker. But I think that, first of all, there's obviously there's, a creative and then there's a creative person if you know what i mean so a creative is someone who works in a creative industry of some sort mm -hmm. and someone who is creative doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to draw or that they would have a great idea for a new chair for a, a person with a big bum or i don't know what it could <laughs> mean that they apply their creativity in the way that they approach problems in whatever field they uh, work and that kind of kind of goes back to what I was saying before about they have the ability to make surprising and interesting connections between 
uh, different, using all kinds of knowledge that they have to create a a pertinent response to, Mm. to something that I would say wasn't there before, maybe like the whether it's an idea, whether it's a, it's an object, whether it's a, a way of solving or approaching a problem, and that could really be in any field. So yeah. I think demystify it, bring it down to the ground. Don't turn it into something like, oh, everyone can be a designer or an artist or everyone can draw well and whatever. That's not about that. But I see it time and again when I work with people that are that are coming from what you say, that kind of place where they say, oh, I'm not creative, I can't do this. And there are many ways to show them that they are. And I think mm. people really enjoy discovering that. And so disconnecting the word creative from the maybe aesthetic, that, that, that there's an outcome that looks beautiful or would be my first thing yeah. to say. Yeah. I've talked about this before as well, that, yeah, we we sometimes, I think some for some creatives, they actually want to lean into this idea that they have a mystical power. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that they haven't actually worked years and years to hone and get better yeah. at. In fact, yeah. that they, they haven't worked really hard at it and they've, they've just been born that way. Yeah. But for other people, it is it is helpful to know that, yes, they they've, they probably, maybe they did have a bit of a natural kind of, at least a natural interest in it. And then they really worked hard at, at doing this thing. What you are experiencing in your studies of design, mm-hmm. I, I did a, BA for four years and an MA for two years in design. And I was constantly feeling that. That's part, like you you should be feeling that. Not so much I'm not creative, but like, am I doing this well? Everyone seems to know what they're doing better than me. Is this the absolute best solution to what I'm trying to do? That is very natural sort of self-doubt as long as it doesn't completely cripple you I think is important you can be very creative and still really struggle to do something that you feel is is good enough and it doesn't cancel your I guess the trick is not getting overwhelmed by by this like self-questioning or the self-doubt that that comes with it sometimes but what what would you say to to doctors who who think that they're not creative because mm. you you are working with people a lot of the time who are in field that they don't traditionally think of as creative and you're trying to show them that actually creativity is all around us and yeah. that includes the way that you think about your work yeah. so what what would you say if you were face to face with doctors who are a bit disengaged let's say well first of all it depends because they don't have they don't necessarily, if they're happy, <laughs> then they should just carry on being great doctors. But I think that, first of all, there are many, many examples of how people apply their creativity. And it could be in the tiniest things like how they tie their hair or how they dress or in the more specific examples of how they solve a problem, how they... There was this wonderful example during COVID of health workers that were completely covered head to toe and they were dealing with patients that were very anxious and mm-hmm. they started putting pictures of themselves on their protective gear to sort of reassure the people they were caring for that there's a human underneath all of that. Um, yeah. And I think that is a really good example for a healthcare professional who is probably a very good doctor or anesthetic or whatever he is doing thinking creatively 
about how to deal with a, a new problem that, that arose around COVID because before that they weren't walking around with masks and covered from head to toe and there was no eye contact. And so I, I, when I saw that, I was very moved by it because I think mm. that is a solution that a design studio would have sat for an hour brainstorming and would say, hey, let's do that. And But, but yet a doctor did that or a nurse or whoever it was. Um, so I think that there there is... First of all, a lot of creativity is sometimes maybe the way that it's branded that people think that they're not creative. Yeah. But also there are ways that you can kind of awaken create or or just practice being creative as well if you wanted to. So there's lots of different things that you could do to... To awaken that, yeah. reawaken that in yourself. Yeah. yeah, either reawaken or just be aware that you have it. Or, yeah. yeah so it's a... Well, that was actually going to be my next question to you because I, I've met a lot of doctors and dentists who feel that their profession stifles their creativity. Not not just that that it's not creative what they do, but they feel stifled by it, actually. What tips might you give to them to help them to reawaken their, their creativity? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's really hard because I, I can give all kinds of things that I sometimes do in workshops or that I, I do myself because for me it's a little bit more natural because I've always been someone who almost needed to be creative to exist. But I don't really know how doctors' lives are and I, apart from kind of anecdotal and I know that they're really busy and things like that. But I, I would say that one of the biggest things that gives me creative joy every day is noticing my surroundings and I think that is something that you can really teach yourself to do but in a playful sort of way so for example we all have phone cameras now so on your commute to to work notice yellow things and take pictures of them or or take pictures of of the letter r and wherever you see it or find silly typos in signs or in things and take photographs of that and i think that that you start looking around in a new way that to some people is very natural if they're very visual people and to some people is not natural at all uh, but it's very rewarding and it can be really nice to then look at your phone at the end of the day and like, oh, look at that. <laughs> or the other day I saw a sign that in a greengrocer that said cheery tomatoes and I thought that was that made, <laughs> cheered me up that moment. <laughs> um, yeah, and so as a creative person, I, my phone is full every day of stuff that occasionally makes appearances in my work or in design that I'm doing or just it just gives me joy because it is. But having said that, like I said, it's a bit like warming up before exercising. You can just warm up your ability to notice stuff. And I actually think that doctors, nurses, people that work in a hospital, for example, they can really develop their ability to notice their surroundings that could help them improve their surroundings and improve the way things work and things like that. And that is something that could be really beneficial to them and to the people that they care for so it's not it's it is an amount of playfulness and just kind of doing random stuff but it also can i have feel that it can impact bigger things in a way yeah i totally agree with you i love that that is very very true that when you 
kind of turn your attention I guess we we are talking about attention when it comes to noticing things mm. when you when you're very intentional with your attention if that's yeah. a, a thing I can say you will suddenly see so much around you it's it's almost like when you buy a car and then suddenly your car is everywhere yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and yeah you suddenly see the world in a new way and you're right this actually has a very meaningful purpose when it comes to healthcare and I guess this is kind of a lot of what your work is around around human-centered design in fact that when we do start to flex our attention if you like and really try and maneuver in in a very intentional way then we can empathize better with people and create better things do you mind telling us a little bit more about kind of your your perspective on on human-centered design and its role in healthcare yeah, so once again, uh, lots of different definitions, but I would say the most, the simplest and kind of the one that I relate to the most is saying that the design that is led by focusing not on what the problem is, mm. but on the person and the problem comes after. So it's really about understanding who you are designing for before you come up with what you're going to 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 help them but when I say understanding it's not just saying okay this person is a woman and she's 15 so this means this and the other but it's really understanding that a person is not just a demographic and a statistic but they have cultural and emotional and physical needs and contexts that that will really impact everything that you do so that design solutions take all of that into account and they only the solution only comes about after you've really understood and studied and talked to and observed and if possible lived through or mm -hmm. at least simulated experiences that are similar to to the person that you're or the person that represents the group that you're wanting to engage with your yeah. design I think there are many, many good examples, but one one of the famous examples is the first children's toothbrush that was designed yeah. by IDEO. And we take this for granted because it's been around for so long. But but before the toddlers and young children's toothbrushes existed on in every shop, they were just smaller versions of adult toothbrushes. And uh, they didn't work because adults and children have different hands, they have a different attention span, they hold things differently. There are so many reasons why that doesn't work. And it seems so obvious, but it wasn't obvious. And it took a person from IDO, his children brush their teeth for a very long time, lots mm -hmm. of toddlers and children, to really come up with a solution that was not the adult perception of what a child is, but was an adult understanding through observation of needs of the user and it's not just about ergonomics and things like that there are lots of different things to consider so that's generally what user-centered design is about and just one more thing is a, another very famous example that is used a lot in human-centered design is a, a water carrying solution that was designed specifically for women and girls in areas in areas in rural Africa where there was an access to fresh water and women yeah. had to a long distance to get water and they carried it on their heads and 
And so a, a sort of engineering design solution was invented called the Hippo Roller, which basically used a, the container for water as a wheel and the women just pushed it. And that made the whole thing faster. They could carry a lot more water, had lots of huge advantages. But one of the most poignant things about that story is in one of the interviews of the users, there was a teenage girl who said that she really loves the hippo roller because she now can do her hair really nicely and braid it and stuff when she goes to get water. And that is an example for something that's not related to the the problem that they solved, right, is a, a better way of carrying water, but the impact that it had in dignity and in, in just a person feel a young woman who wants to look nice when she goes to the water source because she might meet other people. And she does, if she carries something on her head, she can't. it's not yeah. a practical thing. So that's just an example for understanding your user beyond she needs a way to carry water better, so I'll make her something she can push, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that links very strongly to healthcare because it's really there's so many issues of dignity and of things that are beyond just I need this uh, to do I need something to mm. do X Y or Z right because there's a human there's always a human there and uh, yeah so that's a that's a big big area to think about yeah I completely agree with you it's so true that we we as doctors have to think beyond the purpose of the interaction that we're having <laughs> with yeah. with the patient and yeah. and going back to what you're saying about paying attention when when we are kind of opening our eyes to 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 these things very purposefully then we can kind of we can empathize better with people and actually we flesh them out more as human beings rather mm. than a patient that's coming through that day in particular. I love that example of the hippo roller. Actually, I, I remember I remember reading about about that one as well. And it's so true that that patients like to us as doctors were like, did they take the medication? Did they do this? Did they do that? And sometimes patients don't do the things that we want them to do or we expect them to do. And they'll have some reason like that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all life or life or death and they're like but the way I look the way I feel and that that does matter to a human being mm. over and beyond kind of the kind of life or death that we are seeing as as doctors on a daily basis we have to think about the everyday for somebody as well mm. I wanted to finish by by asking you really a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast and uh, it's it's really about imagining that you are the dean of the medical or dental school so if you are the dean and you can influence the curriculum in whatever way you want to what would you want students to learn about design or design thinking that would help to shape their working lives or their lives in general what do you think would be useful for them we I guess we've covered a lot of topics already but is there anything different that you might add Mm, that's a really tricky one. There were a few things that I, I just wanted to say. I think that just a little bit of awareness, I'm not sure how directly this relates to what you're asking, but awareness of the the role of visual communication in healthcare, the impact that it can have. So, for example, if you have really bad wayfinding signage in a hospital, yeah. you're increasing an already stressful Mm-hmm. Situation, you're making someone feel disempowered and stressed in a situation where they are already stressed. If you have 
medication that's difficult, a medicine that's difficult to open, or the instructions are not clear, you're creating something that is uncomfortable to someone. If you have a hospital gown that makes someone feel exposed and and awkward, then you're creating a situation where they are even more uncomfortable than they would be. And the same thing that drove a doctor covered in PPE to put a picture of themselves so that their patient to reassure their patient. I think that is an understanding that visual language can can help make a person feel more at ease. So I would say so my it's a personal story, but when my mother she who passed away with dementia, she was hospitalized and she was obviously couldn't talk and she was like she's just this old woman with her dentures out and she was treated really well by the medical staff, but they didn't really see her and I was sitting by her bedside and I just wanted to shout you don't know anything about her she's this and she's that and she plays the piano amazingly and I just thought as I was seeing them constantly picking up the chart off her bed and checking doing really wonderful work medically as a graphic designer I was just thinking wouldn't it be great if that chart for every patient in the hospital the family could put there would be a place where the family could put a picture of their loved one as they know them, not mm. as a person kind of lying with a hospital gown and stuff, tubes up their nose or whatever. And so every time someone picked up the chart before they opened it to look at everything, they would see the, the person. And that was just, I just thought that would be a really nice way to, I'm not, I don't want to say the word force, but to kind of bring the human factor using a, vis- a visual thing So that's just an example for sort of thinking a little bit like a designer in a situation that's highly medical and is very much about life and death and all of that, but still, and I think that that I'm sure that health professionals and doctors are have got that ability when they when they finish mastering, which it takes most of their time and energy, and they are the ones that can actually instigate these types of uh, interventions as well, to because it would make their lives better as a professional lives better i feel not only the patients and the people that they're dealing with yeah most definitely i i I love that idea i think it's such a beautiful idea really to to help people to connect with really actually not be an autopilot a lot of the time I think that that is that's an issue and I'm I'm guilty of this too when I was a doctor you you almost feel like you need to get into you need to kind of get into a routine so that you can you can get through your your day I suppose but but in that in the process of doing that you can kind of you can forget that you're you're not you're not just doing things you are helping people you are what what the things that you are doing are to help people it's not just a a tick box that you're trying to or a list of things to get through so yeah I think that is a really really beautiful idea I was actually going to ask you because you you designed the you you did some work for an NHS trust where you were designing for for them during the COVID period where people were struggling to people who don't speak English as a first language were really struggling to connect and understand people with masks and things and you designed these amazing kind of visual cards so that they could communicate a lot better as well was there you know what was there anything that you learned through that process that kind of surprised you about the way that doctors are working well I think that actually there are quite a few examples of use of pictograms 
yeah. in healthcare settings because you have in most kind of big cities for sure you have a lot of people from different backgrounds different languages there's not a lot of time sometimes you have to explain some really complicated things and if you don't mm-hmm. have a verbal understanding so i think graphic design in that in those contexts is used a lot and there's some really lovely examples of tools that were developed for example for a cancer care center for children in in austria where it's like it's basically a set of pictograms of a bit 72 pictograms i think that enable healthcare professionals and children and their families communicate what their care is going to be how long they have to wait for something what they can or can't do things like that but all with visuals rather than words and i think that's just a a very powerful tool in the healthcare setting and again we talked about uh, covid was a time where people couldn't easily have eye contact or use words and sometimes just using a visual a simple visual of a person lying in a certain way so that a doctor can show the picture to a person and say if you lie like this you can breathe more easily mm. That get, that's a really nice time where you do feel that graphic design can actually do something beyond make things look great and communicate messages that are not necessarily life-changing. And this is just a very simple example how that can happen. And also what I learned from it actually was a conversation between a doctor friend of mine and myself as a graphic designer. If I had to treat her patient they would die and if she had to design something nobody would die but it would probably look terrible but together (laughs) we did something really good so I think that's also very nice I love (laughs) I love that no that's 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 a really that's a really nice summary of this conversation I guess (laughs) well it's true that it's we 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 don't think of design as kind of life or death but it is it is important for communicating and and healthcare is built on good communication and and trust yeah. essentially and graphic design is very important for doing that and you you certainly helped that in, in a big way with yeah. with the work that you've done so thank you so much and thank you for being on the podcast it's been wonderful speaking to you it's been really really nice to speak to you and to meet you and to just explore this whole very kind of unique but really relevant i think topic that you've brought up so thanks for asking me (laughs) my pleasure thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode of brand new doctor with leah jagendorf this certainly is a conversation i would have loved to hear when i was a practicing doctor so i hope you feel as inspired as i do to lean into creativity Check out Leah's website at leahjagendorf.com to learn more about her. I know there are many people who would benefit from this message, so please share this podcast. And as always, I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback, so please give a rating and review. You can follow me on Instagram at rollacare.so and on LinkedIn. And I'll be back soon with another episode of Brand New Doctor.